Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Good morning. My name is Pastor Kerry. I'm the pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Cypress Church. Glad to join with you guys again this morning. Um, you, uh, you, you may have noticed, as uh, you know, Mark mentioned, that Victor is gone. Victor's not leading worship at another one of our branches. He's actually uh, at a wedding way up in, like, I think it's Portland or Washington, somewhere up there. Mike and Christy are also up there, so got a couple guys gone. It was fun to see Lorena up here playing bass, though. That was awesome. So glad, wherever you are, Lorena, that you got a chance to get to do that and uh, take a break from the kiddos. She does a great job with our children, and uh, it's fun to get to see her to get do that too. Um, question for you as we start our, our time in the Word together. Um, have you ever been in a, in a circumstance where someone said something and it, it, it surprised you so much that you didn't know what to say back? You're kind of struck dumb. <laughs> Some of you are chuckling. You know what that's like. Hey, well, of course, I'm leading into a story where um, that happened. Uh, so uh, here, Ethan and I are going for a bike ride on the weekend like we like to do. You can see he's got his books and his snacks, and he's in the trailer ready to go. And so I, I put him in the trailer, get on the bike. We ride to the Long Beach Town Center because my wife, Emily, has said, oh, they've got this splash pad thing there. So I'm thinking, oh, Ethan will love that. It's a hot day. We ride over there. We get there. It's, it's not on. So I'm like, okay, what do we do? Uh, you know, the, the signage didn't say any time, so I, I ride around, and we're just looking for someone to ask a question to. There's a security gal who's got a uniform on, looks like she's part of the security, uh, Long Beach security team. So we're like, hey, what time does the splash pad open? And she said, oh, I don't know, but I'll call my manager and find out. So I say, oh, thanks. Yeah, we'll just chill here while you do that. So she's like, okay, pulls out her phone right in front of me, dials and says, hey, um, uh, yeah, I'm here with a transient that wants to know when the splash pad opens. <laughs> and I'm right there, like, with even, like, in a collared shirt on a brand new bike with a smiling two-year-old, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, last time I checked, I think transient meant homeless person you need to keep an eye on. And I'm like, I just didn't know what to say. <laughs> so I said nothing. And, and I think she said something like, I don't even remember the rest of the conversation. I think she said something about it opens in 10 minutes and she took off. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and we, we went to the splash pad. Ethan soaked himself and had a good time. But the whole time we're there, I'm still like just thinking, what happened there? <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, so maybe you've been in circumstances like that too, where you're like, what just happened? Or what did they say? Was that, did they mean to say what they said? Um, and, and maybe some of you have even been in circumstances where people have meant to say what they said to you. And you think, how do I react to that? Um, some of you, I, I would guess in a room this large, have even been in circumstances where, um, where you've had much worse said to you than just silly splash pad slander. Um, it's actually been really hurtful or really intentional. Um, and so, man, I, we take those ideas and we step back into the world of the first century where Peter had been writing this letter to first century Christians. And they had faced plenty of instances like this and much worse. In fact, their reputations, their jobs, their homes, their health were all threatened because they were willing to follow after Jesus. 
And that change set up a lot of conflict. And so as they suffer attacks from their neighbors, their family, their friends, the government, and they, they're thinking, Peter, oh, how you're talking about serving and serving others throughout this letter you've written to us, but how are we supposed to do that when, when we have to set our own needs aside because we're being attacked? Like, how can anyone serve others when they're being persecuted? When people are attacking me and my Christian sisters and brothers, how am I supposed to focus on serving other people when I need to keep looking over my own shoulder and watching my own back? How does that work? So this is the question that they are bringing to Peter and that he's going to answer for us. We've been moving through the book of First Peter in the New Testament. Um, a lot of you have been able to check out our awesome daily devotionals. They're kind of like a comic book format because our all church focus this September and August has been the hero initiative. We're talking about what does it look like to be a hero and even making other heroes. Um, and if you have not had a chance to pick up our most recent third issue, make sure you grab one of these out in the lobby. They're awesome. Just read whatever you're able to read, you know, each day, some days, whatever, you'll be glad that you did. You can also read this on our church app if you've uh, got that downloaded. That's another good resource for you. But let's say maybe you're just joining us. You've been on vacation a little bit. You're like, hey, where are we at with this whole First Peter thing? Um, First Peter was written by the apostle Peter, the guy that got to hang out with Jesus for three years in ministry and see everything eyewitness. Um, He was in Rome when he wrote this letter. So you'll see on the screen, there's Rome. We're on the left upper part. So he's in the capital of the entire empire. He's writing a letter east to Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. This whole area is encompassed in, if you look in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, there's all these cities he writes to. He was a circular letter, which means he's writing this letter to all the churches in that area. He's saying, this is relevant to all of you guys. So when someone gets it, read it out loud in your church. And when you're done, send it on to the next church because they'll want to hear this too. So he's writing to these guys and... Um, We've been learning a little bit as we've been walking through each Sunday in our Sunday morning worship gatherings, um, specific segments of the book. And so just by way of review that will lead us to where we're going today, chapter 1, verse 3, through uh, chapter 2, verse 10, is the first third of the book. And in it, Pastor John opened up in a section there to teach us about what our identity as Christians looks like, and actually how our identity determines how we will think, how we will act, how we will serve. And so it's really pivotal to understand who we are in Christ first. And then we moved on to Peter's second section, and that's going to be chapters chapter 2, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 11. And our pastoral intern Sam got up here and explained how we are called to serve even our authorities that don't treat us well. And we can even serve them even when they are unkind and be a witness for Christ like Christ did when he served people who mistreated him. Um, And then we moved on to our next week where another pastoral intern, Eric, joined forces with Mike and they taught about how, hey, we are called to serve and God has not left us alone in that. He's actually empowered us with gifts, spiritual gifts and abilities and experiences that we can use to serve others. And so God has given us great tools to do that. Now we find ourselves in the third section of the book. That's first Peter four, verse 12 through five, chapter five, verse 11. And so Peter's going to talk about the persecution of God's 
people. He's going to go straight for that topic. And, and because everyone has been listening to his book so far, and they're saying, okay, cool, cool, but thanks, Peter, for your insights, but how, how can this even happen when we're having to look over our shoulders all the time when we're being persecuted? Now, the people who are reading Peter's book, they're not being thrown to the lions yet. Um, that would come in about another decade. But they still were facing plenty of persecution on the local level. Um, maybe denied business, fired, uh, ostracized, shunned, made fun of, um, and even facing mobs and riots in their local contexts. And so they're saying, Peter, how can we possibly focus on others to serve them when our own safety and well-being is at risk? How does that even make sense? And so We've got plenty to dive into this morning to figure out how on earth does that work. So if you have a Bible, I'd open it to 1 Peter 5. If you don't, our ushers, our amazing ushers are coming forward. If you need a Bible, just raise up your hand and say, hey, I'd like to borrow one of those. They'd love to loan it to you. You can leave it on your seat as you take off today. Feel free to use that. I'd love for you to be in 1 Peter with us. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 5. So please turn there. 1 Peter 5, 5. Let's go in and see what Peter says. In verse 5, he starts at the end of this section. It's actually chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He's saying, hey, be harmonious with each other. Work together in unity, church, because it's a hard world out there. Make sure there's not conflicts and and dissension in your own church. And then he closes it up with this verse 5, and he gives two commands. The second one is, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter's addressing everyone in the church, all the different roles, whoever plays what. He's saying, everyone, be humble, because that's how God can give you grace. And that's how harmony and unity can take place. And then he launches, he's like, well, as long as I'm addressing all of you, let me take it into a whole new paragraph. The last main paragraph of the whole letter before we get to conclusion material That's chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. So he goes into verse 6 saying, Hey, all of you, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, this is interesting. The mighty hand of God, this is actually a phrase from the Old Testament. It's from the Exodus. When it's in Deuteronomy, it points back to the Exodus. And this is where, and it says, the mighty hand of God delivered his people. And this is when the Israelites, their, their slaves hunkered down in Egypt. And Egypt is the most powerful superpower nation in the known world at that time. And <laughs> this Jewish tiny fledgling nation are, are beat down slaves. And then God comes in liberates them, emancipates them, and makes them into an entire nation and sacks Egypt. That's the mighty hand of God that Peter is referencing here. He's saying, hey, the most powerful nation in the known world, and you were pitiful slaves, had no power whatsoever. God's mighty hand came in, boom, took care of business. You guys were made into a nation. I've got your back. That's the mighty hand of God. So that's what Peter says. Humble yourselves under that kind of God, the God that is powerful on your behalf. Why? So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So we humble ourselves before God. And then God, in his time, in his way, lifts us back 
That's what Peter is saying here. How can we serve others when we're being persecuted? We can entrust our needs to our good God who is powerful, who is strong, and who cares for us. Check out the the last part of verse 7. Well, the whole part of verse 7. What does it look like to humble ourselves? Verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him, on God, because he cares for you. That's what we do. We take our worries. We take the anxieties of, oh Lord, I don't know if I'm going to have my job tomorrow because I'm Christian and I've really been catching a lot of heat for that. I don't know if my home is going to be safe. I don't know if my family is going to be safe. And God says, take those worries, take those anxieties, all of those burdens and give them to God. That's what humbling yourself before him looks like. And actually this um, humble uh, phrase the, the casting your burdens onto God comes with a, a neat twist here. I do want to give you our first point, though, that this all boils down to, and that's if you're taking notes in your worship folder, you have, you know, the sermon outline right here. If you love to take notes, this is our first blank. Humbly entrust your worries to your loving king. That's how we get through some of these persecutions that we are faced. Humbly entrust. Instead of responding to persecution with fear, where you're fighting back or you're turning inward or you're avoiding anyone who could possibly hurt you, we can respond with a resiliency, a resiliency that stems from our humble dependence on God. Now, remember that casting your worries on God, that's a a word that's used also in Luke 19.30. That's the story where Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and it's Palm Sunday. It's going to be this triumphal entry where where Peter um, and the other disciples, they got to go fetch this donkey and be like, okay, this is what Jesus is going to ride in. And everyone's going to be like, Hosanna, it's going to be awesome. What verse 35 in Luke 19 says is that the disciples cast their cloaks over this donkey so that Jesus had something to ride on there. They took their cloaks place them on the donkey. It's the same word that's used to say, cast your worries on God. That God in his limitless power, in his awesome strength, and in his unmatched compassion for us, we can take anything and place that worry on him. And he can handle those burdens for us. That's the idea. That's the imagery. So just by way of application for us already here, when others discover how loyal you are willing to be to God, they might threaten your reputation, your standing, your business. Take the worries that you have for your well-being and cast them onto God. Give them to him. He will bear those for us and we can trust him. That is a great truth. Now, honestly, some of us might read these verses as we start off and they're saying, okay, some dusty history lesson about an ancient people who had a hard time of it. That's not my experience. I'm living here in sunny SoCal suburbia. I'm not getting persecuted for being a Jesus follower. I'm not losing my job. I'm not being chased by a mob. What gives? Eh, I'll come back next week. Um, I would encourage you, stay Stay with us. If you're not, if you don't feel like you're facing any persecution at the moment, don't kick back and check out. And first, hit, first, 
hit your knees and thank God that your life is in a good spot right now, that things are going well for your well-being. Um, so first do that. Second, I'd say hit your knees and pray for all the other Christians all over the globe that are catching a lot of heat for following after Jesus. Um, there's a resource you'll see on the screen. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. They have a website and a magazine and a podcast and all these resources and stuff that you can tune into. What they mainly do as an organization is they, they survey all of what's happening with Christians all over the world and find all the people that are most getting beat up and persecuted and help us in places that are a little bit easier to live as a Christian to know what's going on over there um, and to know uh, who to pray for and how to pray for them. So that's a resource I'd encourage you to go check out. If you're not facing a lot of persecution, use your freedom to pray for those who are. Uh, Lastly, thirdly for that, assess your lifestyle. Are you wholeheartedly loyal to God in every place you go? If not, it may, and if you are, it may only be a matter of time before someone gets offended by your worldview. So stick around and let's, let's explore some more in this passage to see how we weather those storms. How can we serve others when we're being persecuted? We can humbly entrust our worries to our loving king. When they attack me, my sisters, or my brothers, my hope in God helps me serve others. But that's not all. Peter's got a lot more to say here, so let's keep going in. Verse 8. Verse 8, our second section here, Peter continues on, and he says another command that he gives us. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. This word here would be very familiar to Peter personally. Do you remember back, uh, if you've read the gospels and you remember this uh, account, remember back Peter is in the garden of Gethsemane and suddenly he's shaken awake by Jesus saying, Hey, uh, we're, I told you guys to pray. Uh, <laughs> why can't you stay awake, alert, be on guard? Jesus says in Matthew twenty six forty to 41, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This was the night that soldiers would arrest Jesus and he would eventually be taken to the cross. Being alert was key. So think about how that would be ringing in Peter's mind years later when he would write this book and he would say, stay alert. Be watchful, be sober-minded. Why would he say that? He says that in verse, uh, he says that in chapter one, verse 13. He says it again in chapter four, verse seven. And now he's saying it again in chapter five, verse eight. Why is this so important? Well, he tells us right out in verse eight. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Whoa. Okay, so there's an enemy that's being likened to a wild beast that wants to maim, destroy, and eat us. That's good reason to stay alert, right? (laughs) Oh man, what? So the devil, as he's described here, is described in all sorts of different passages all throughout the Bible. And um, he's called the false accuser, the slanderer. Um, Other passages talk about how he's a cunning and evil personal spiritual being. He's in opposition to God and he leads other demons in opposition to God too. And so think about why Jesus called himself 
the good shepherd in John 10, 14. What is the interaction usually between sheep and lions? Is it really friendly? (laughs) Not so much. Uh, That's why we need a good shepherd to protect us. We need someone to protect us and help us because there is a real enemy out there. So now Peter's audience knows, okay, we're the target of this malevolent spiritual person. That's scary. What do we do, Peter? And Peter tells him the next verse, verse nine. So resist him, resist the devil. This isn't fear. This is, again, that word of watch, alertness. Remember Jesus' example. The devil shows up and tempts him in the desert right before he's about to start his ministry and says, hey, why don't you do this? Hey, hey, let me trick you up with this. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't cower in fear. He doesn't charge the devil and try to take him out. He just says, nope, I am resisting those temptations. I'm resisting those temptations by, by reciting scripture, which is the truth. So those lies you're telling me, Satan, here's what is actually true. Not going there. That's what Jesus does. And he leads us by example in that case. So resist the devil. Now take a second look at this passage because I got it wrong the first time I studied it. (laughs) I totally was not understanding it, right? I thought, okay, resist temptation. Like don't lie, don't steal, don't look at porn, don't hurt others, yada, yada, yada. Okay, it's everything. But as I read it more, I realized it's way more specific than that. What was the main thing that Peter's audiences were struggling with? It was being persecuted. So the main temptation here that Peter is talking about is falling away from God. The temptation to say, you know, if I don't believe this, or I don't go to that church anymore, or I say I'm not a Christian, things are going to get a lot easier for me. I'm not going to catch so much heat anymore. I'm not going to be insulted as much. There's a real temptation to fall away, to give up, to compromise. And so that's what Peter is saying. No, resist that temptation. How do we do that? Peter gives us three ideas in the passage right here. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith, verse 9. Firm in your faith. Peter says, remember back in verse 6, back in verse 7, where uh, God was so mighty, the mighty hand of God is who we were humbling ourselves before? God can get you through this. Have faith, trust that he will not let you succumb to the devil's temptations. Second, we can resist the devil by remembering we're not in this struggle alone. Verse nine continues, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he's saying, hey guys, don't worry, you're not alone. In fact, pretty much all Christians for all time in all, all of the globe have been persecuted in some way or another. Different ways, right? Different locations, but persecution is a reality that just is natural to the Christian life. And so he says, don't worry, you're not in this alone. There's other people going through it. You can pray for each other. You can learn from each other. You're in this together. So that's an encouraging thing too. Lastly, another way that we resist the devil's temptation is that we can know that God uses persecution to prove that we belong to him, to God. So God actually takes insults and attacks and shunning, and he actually redeems them into tests that prove that we really do 
follow Jesus. So think about this. How do you know if someone's really a Christian or, you know, if they really love Jesus and are following after him, or if they're just kind of along for the ride, or maybe they're faking it, who knows? The way you tell is you turn the screws. You heat up the persecution and the real Christians rise to the top and ever, and the other ones take off. This is a way that God says, Hey, in some way, this can be an encouragement when you're persecuted and you say, no, I'm sticking with God. That's a good thing. And God is honored by that. So if you're taking notes again, how do we serve others when we're being persecuted? We can overcome persecution by resisting the enemy behind your human persecutors. Instead of responding to persecutions with fear by fighting back or turning inward or avoiding people, we can overcome persecution with a resiliency, a resiliency that comes from our humble dependence on God and knowing who our true enemy is. When he attacks me or my sisters or my brothers, my hope in God helps me continue to serve others. Emily and I got to go to Hume Lake for a pastor's retreat this last week. And it was, it was awesome. And I got to, I brought my bike along. So I got to ride each morning. And so at one point I'm, 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 it's up in the Sierras. I'm on this lonely dirt road, just way up the mountain away from the camp. And, you know, I, I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. And I, I see some deer walking by and we're like, whoa, let me take a film. I'm like, this is so cool. And then I realize I'm thinking about, because I've been studying this, it runs through my mind. Oh yeah, beware the your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion. And I thought, if a mountain lion came right now, <laughs> I have no defense. <laughs> I'm out of reception. I have no weapons. Like if it chases me uphill, there's no way I can go faster than it. Like even on my bike. And so I'm thinking, wow, I wonder how that would have felt for this, his first century audience to hear watch out. He's like a lion. They would have thought, oh man, that's dangerous. Like, I don't want to be stuck in a, in a path all by myself and have him come along. I better be alert. I better watch out. So that's kind of how that helped me relate to like, think, oh, that's what he's like. However, as powerful and as dangerous as the devil may be, oh man, he cannot hold a candle to God. Oh, if you notice the picture on your sermon outline, you'll see it up on the screen here too. This is P-22. He uh, was caught and uh, recorded in 2012. And you can see the Hollywood sign behind him. He's r- this big mountain lion roaming around the hills right behind these LA homes. Imagine just being one of these homes and like, oh, there's a hundred pounds of pure wild muscle and fangs uh, roaming around in my backyard right now. <laughs> Dangerous, right? But then do you notice, do you see his neck? What's on his neck? A collar. As soon as P-22 was found, Park Service personnel slapped a GPS collar on him, and they know exactly where he is all the time, what he's doing, and can track his whereabouts. Do you see the analogy? Satan is powerful. He is dangerous. Oh, but God has slapped a collar on his neck and God knows exactly where he is. God knows exactly what he is up to and God is still in control. Isn't that an encouraging thought? 
Oh, so Peter says, you guys don't have to sweat this. Yes, you should be alert. Yes, you should watch out. Yes, you should resist those temptations. But don't freak out. God is in control. Mm. Knowing this about our adversary, the devil, uh, how, you know, even if you're taking notes or just thinking about your own life, how can you resist him then? Think about the, the temptations that may be coming your way. Satan started all the way back in the Garden of Eden and uh, with Eve. And uh, I tried to find a better picture. All I could find is like 1950s Protestant Eve. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's a better one out there on the internet, but that's all I could find in the time. But, but, but right, that happened. So, so here's Eve in the garden. And what did the devil say to get her to fall into temptation? He said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of the trees? What does he say to us today? Did God really say you can't just blend in with everyone around you? Did God really say that you're supposed to tell other people about Jesus and how they need to be saved from their, their sin? That's not a popular message. Did God really say that his commands are more important than cultural trends? Did God really say that? You see, giving in to compromise, it can help us avoid attacks from the world and make us more popular, but then we'll have to answer to the one who created the world in the first place. And I think God, God's, the creator's opinion is worth more and more valuable than what others, our neighbors, our friends, or our family may think of us. Now, honestly, you know, we've been talking about the devil in this whole second section here. There could be plenty of us in this audience, I'm sure, that could be thinking, oh, come on, the devil? Don't be so naive. I mean, yeah, that worked to like culturally oppress people into having good morality for years. But like we are so past those antiquated fairy tales. Give me a break. The devil is going around. I mean, honestly, that's what a lot of people could think. But if that's what you're thinking... I mean, that's what the Bible says. And so if, if you think maybe Satan doesn't exist, there's a lot of other things in the Bible you might have to toss out as well. <laughs> How can I believe in like the spirit being that's the enemy of God's people? Well, it says in John four twenty four that God is spirit. So do you believe in God? It's all in God's word. Even outside the Bible, I'm always fascinated by how it, maybe it's just me, but it seems like every year there's another like, demonic possession movie or another exorcist movie coming out. Like, I don't know if it's every Halloween, but like every year there's just another movie coming out like that. I think our culture sometimes doesn't like to think that those forces are real, but, but we're fascinated. We're curious. Like there are things out there and he is out there. So we, just to say the devil is not behind every bush. Not every evil is caused by him. We are broken human beings as well, and we create broken human institutions that we try our best, but they're not always perfect. And so we, we cause a good deal of evil too. Um, uh, God never called us to like go hunt demons down, like, yeah, let's go kick some demon butt. Um, but he also didn't tell us to cower in fear. He said, no, nope. what, what is our response to the devil? Resist his temptations. Resist him. 
If you'd like any more resources on this and you're like, wow, that's like a pretty mysterious, like interesting topic, I'd encourage you to pick up our study guide in the lobby at our resource table. There's extra verses to explore about all about that kind of topic and, and additional resources to look in. So I encourage you to go pick up one of those study guides. And again, if you are taking notes and you missed a blank, how can we serve others when we're being persecuted? Resisting the enemy behind our human persecutors. When they attack me, my sisters, or my brothers, my hope in God, that's what helps me serve others. So we've learned how to weather persecution now, but Peter's audience may still be thinking as they're reading this, yeah, okay, we get how to weather through it, but is this ever going to end? When, when, or when is the relief? How long does this persecution last? That's in our last two verses, verses 10 and 11. 10 and 11 is a section that's divided into three parts. And the first part is the very first part of verse 10. Peter says, and after you have suffered a little while, little while, what about the people who are in countries or contexts or cultures where they are being persecuted, I don't know, their whole lifetime? How is that a little while? Peter says, it's a little while compared to eternity. Yes, this life, there may be decades of persecution, but think about what's coming. And then he moves into his next section, the second half of chapter 10. He says, the God, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh, that is good news. He's saying, man, yeah, things are tough now, but man, this life and its persecution, they are a blip compared to this eternal timeline of goodness that is coming to you when Christ returns. He says, God has called you and he himself will restore. He will make all things right again, renewing the brokenness that has happened in your life. He will confirm you. Our confidence in God will finally be resolute, untouchable. He will strengthen you. So when you Christians have been a persecuted minority in so many contexts, no more. You'll be a vindicated ruling people in heaven. They will finally be at peace and he will establish you in heaven too. Our firm foundation will be in Christ, our cornerstone, and we will never Never be unclear or unsure of him again. That will be a great, great future, friends. That is something worth looking forward to. What a hope. And then he closes in verse 11. He closes the book and he closes this section. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, dominion, we don't usually use that word in normal day-to-day life. (laughs) Another way to translate that word can be strength, might, power. So again, thinking back to God's mighty hand in verse six. So he's Peter. Remember where he's writing from? Rome, the capital of the Roman empire. So he and his audience know full well the power and might of the Roman empire, the most powerful superpower in known history up to this point in the known world with uncountable armies and with worldwide reach and with an iron fist of control. And yet sitting in the capital of this nation that is hostile to them, Peter can still write, nope, 
to God be the power, to God be the might. He is the one that is truly the most powerful. That is a good hope to have too. So how can we serve others when we're being persecuted? We can overcome persecution by hoping in Christ's return. That's your third blank, hope in Christ's return. We can overcome persecution because of our humble dependence on God, understanding our true enemy and a hope in a future where all things will be made right. Uh, thinking about Hume Lake again, Emily and I were on a road trip up to there uh, to, to get to the lake. It's up in the Sierras. So we had a little ways to go. So we get stuck in traffic and then we, uh, we get to the grapevine after that traffic and there was a brush fire and they'd like the whole section of the uphill was just totally clogged. We, we took an hour in a stick going uphill in the heat to get like three miles. And it was terrible. And we're like, oh, this is horrible. First we had to fight to get out of LA, now this. And, and then we got into the country areas and up 99. And then there was a country highway that got shut down for like repaving. We got stuck waiting for that too. And we're like, oh, this is horrible. It was supposed to take five hours to get to Team Lake. It took us eight. We were almost late for dinner. And we're like, what a terrible trip here. But once we got there, Oh, there's that pristine lake. There's the forest. There's awesome people and the worship and the speakers at this retreat were so, so good. And we were like, it was worth it. It was worth it to get here. Our lives can be similar. Sometimes our lives are full of heartache, persecution, difficulty. Sometimes that we expect, sometimes that we don't expect. Yet the destination makes it worth it. The destination, our final aim of when we get to heaven and God says, I am making all things new and right. Everything will be healed. Oh, that makes the trip worth it. So I don't know what it is for you. Uh, I don't know if you're mistreated by your coworkers or shunned by old friends, or maybe, maybe your family members even make fun of you for being a Christian. Um, but Peter would encourage you. He would say, don't let it get you down. Don't get stuck in focusing just on this life. Focus also on the life to come. That can give us hope. Now, the reality of heaven um, is definitely a good case of delayed gratification, right? (laughs) It's like delayed by like decades. I don't know, our whole lifetime. That's a long ways away. So, you know, we could read this. Peter's audience could be reading this and thinking, oh, great. So everything's going to be peachy with God in heaven. Uh, But what about now? What about the pain and the hurt that I'm being persecuted in right now? What, what, is this the best God can do? Wait until I die to finally make things right? What kind of consolation is that? And what Peter would say is, it's a real consolation to all your brothers and sisters all around the world who are consoled by that, who are encouraged to know that there is heaven coming. It's been a consolation for Christians for the last centuries, ever since the Christian church started. It's been encouraging to all those folks. So don't discount the hope of heaven and don't despair in your journey. And who knows, in God's divine wisdom, Maybe these things that are happening to you are proving your loyalty to God and are helping you grow in new ways you have never grown before. How can we serve others when we're being persecuted? Through hope in Christ's return. As, uh, as I thought through this and, and was um, 
just mulling over these ideas, I was trying to think, you know, what ways, again, because our culture is different, but what ways do we face persecution today um, because we choose to be loyal to Christ? Um, Our lives aren't at stake usually, but um, our culture could still be hostile. I wonder about our reputations, our friends, maybe our careers even. Um, Some of you may have heard of Pastor Josh Harris. Um, uh, He wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, Came out in the late 90s. It was really popular. Uh, Like when I was a youth group kid, uh, a couple of us were reading that, all about dating and stuff. So he was this pastor for decades. And then this summer, he posted this on Instagram. And I think I took a snapshot. He says, um, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. Uh, the biblical phrase is falling away. He says, by all the measurements I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. What? He then goes on to apologize for how he used to disapprove of certain groups who live in opposition to biblical principles. Now he promises that he no longer follows those biblical paradigms. He's also in the process of divorcing his wife. I just think, I, I heard this, this happened uh, this past, just this summer. And I, I heard this news and I thought, how did this happen? How does someone spend years in pastoral ministry, decades, and then publicly walk away from it all? In an, in an Instagram post. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I totally, I, I don't pretend to understand everything that's going on in Josh's life. And, and I know it's probably very complex, but I wonder, I wonder what anxieties may have been building up in his heart due to cultural pressure that he needed to be casting off to God and humbly giving to God. I wonder what was the devil maybe whispering in Josh's ear saying, did God really say to obey what the Bible teaches? Did God really say that he minds what you believe? Did God really even exist? And I wonder for Josh, at what point did that hope of heavenly reward and peace, at what point did that seem too far away to still give him hope? Persecution is real. Temptation to give in or to compromise is real. I think God may want us to learn some lessons from 1 Peter 5. And you'll see them on the screen. I think he would want us to humbly entrust our worries to our loving king. I think that he wants us to resist the enemy behind our human persecutors. And he wants us to hope in Christ's return. You see, one day we'll all be standing in front of God at the end of all things when the age is over and we'll give account for our lives. And I pray that everyone here will have lived a life where God can look us in the face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. When they attack me, my sisters, my brothers, my hope in God helps me serve others. Please join with me in a word of prayer, if you would. Father, this is not a 
light topic and it's not all sunshine and daisies and um but god this happens and this is part of the christian life and god when you said that we followed you you promised that there would be people that they would be confused by that and maybe even be angered by that and so god we pray that you would give us resolve we pray that you would give us faith help us to trust that you're watching our back that you care god and help us to have courage to stick with you through this. God, give us bravery as we go into our workplaces, our families, our, our, our towns and our communities um, to stand up for you boldly with joy, with peace, with hope, and to be resilient in whatever may come our way because of that. We pray this in your name. Amen.